Good morning, Renewal. Welcome to another weekend of our stay-at-home Sunday morning podcast. I'm here recording today with Heath, and we are jumping into the book of Judges, chapter 4, looking at the judge, Deborah, today. One of the themes from our current series in the book of Judges has been the canonization of Israel, the process we've talked about where cultural influences and relationships with neighboring Canaanites eventually corrupt the nation of Israel to the point that they had abandoned the worship of Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they were now worshiping the gods of Canaan, gods like Baal or Ashtoreth or Molech. Another theme has been how each of the judges then that God raises up to deliver the people, each one of these judges is foreshadowing the idea that God is going to one day raise up a deliverer for his people a leader who's going to save God's people from their oppression. And these judges and the stories of these judges are telling and retelling the story of Jesus. And for us reading today, it's helpful for us to realize that the point of each story is to direct us to a more Christ-looking revelation of God. And so today we're going to look at the story of the Judge Deborah. And this story is one of my favorites in the whole book because it has so many unexpected details. And it's a story that should be read very, very carefully. So Jesus is the epitome of unexpected. He took what was expected of him and turned it on his head. Um, He said, the strong shall be weak, and then the meek will inherit the earth. He said so many things that were counterintuitive. Um, So much so that the Jews didn't even recognize their Messiah when he showed up. Oftentimes, they also tried to make him fit their model and put things on him. And he was very reactive against this and made sure that he was always um, being true to the model that he was creating himself. We see this tendency in Judges with Deborah, that people wanted to make her fit their model rather than simply um, letting her be who she was. And the text itself um, is is kind of the same way. Um, People like to read what they want into it and not actually look at the record of her words and actions and let them have the final say. Um, there's a lot of cultural coloring of the text going on when you hear people talk about this sometimes. Yeah, I can remember growing up in church and being around Christians who wouldn't have considered Deborah a judge in Israel. Even though the same word is used to describe her as all the other judges, they would say, well, because she's a woman, that can't really be what it's saying. They would explain away her authority as a judge in Israel with all kinds of theological gymnastics and ridiculous explanations like, well, her husband was a real judge, or God only used her because Barak was a coward. And they would put so much effort into getting the scriptures to line up with their modern beliefs about men and women and roles and their modern sensibilities about those things, uh, rather than spending effort just trying to get their own lives and opinions to line up with what Scripture says. Yeah, and let's look at what Scripture says about this. It says, Again the Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord, and now Ehud was dead. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, the king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in Harasheth Hagayim, because he had 900 chariots filled with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. They cried to the Lord for help. Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, um, was leading or judging Israel at the time. Um, She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. 
I find this interesting. It says she's doing the same thing that Moses first did for the Israelites when God made him the first judge of all of Israel. And when people came to him and and um, asked him for judgments on things that they couldn't figure out on their own. Um, she's fulfilling the role. And I have a hard time seeing how, if she's fulfilling the role of a judge, how she's not being considered a judge. And this is, um, isn't typical um, behavior of most women this time, but for some reason the scripture includes it. And she's doing the role of what most men are doing in this culture, which is pretty radical at the time. Yeah, I, th- I think it's radical then. Of course, it's even still radical now in our modern age, and, and certainly I've heard it argued, I alluded to it earlier, argued that her husband is listening in the passage, and that, that means that, that Lapidoth was the one who was actually leading, but th- this is where it can be so helpful to uh, to have a little background and understanding of Scripture, or understanding of the Hebrew language, or understanding of just how culturally things happened. Uh, yes, Deborah's husband is mentioned in the text, but uh, oftentimes a husband is introduced in Scripture as an identifier uh, for the woman. So a lot of times when you read a man's name in text, they're introduced with their dad's name next to him, you know, David, son of Jesse, or, or things like that. And it was just a common way of helping you differentiate between one David and the next David. And so they would use men's fathers to identify who they were, and oftentimes in the record of Scripture, the Hebrew tradition was when women are introduced, their husband would be mentioned to differentiate who the woman is. And and all it really is doing is taking the significant uh, male in that person's life and giving some context for them based on who that person is so that you can understand uh, who the person is in light of uh, the significant male figure in their life. For men, the significant male figure in their life was their father. For women, the significant male figure in their life culturally was their husband. Anyhow, we also have this verb that that talks about uh, Deborah judging or leading, some translations say. Um, and, and that verb actually agrees with Deborah as the noun, not with Lapidoth. So it, it's a verb that ties into a female noun. And so it, even in the original text, there is perfect clarity that Deborah is assuming the same role in her society that every other judge. Uh, from Othniel to Samuel in the book of Judges, and as he said, going back to even leaders like Moses, she's fulfilling the role that all these other people had in society. It is unique, but it is what God called her to do. And it's interesting, the connections with um, Moses there. Uh, She's actually given the title of prophet, too, and this is the first time that someone's been given this title since, yeah, you guessed it, Moses. So she tends to be this second coming of Moses. You can read in in Deuteronomy 18, it says that Moses says God will raise up a prophet. The people are waiting for a leader like Moses. Um, The text is going out of of its way to highlight the fact that Deborah is this new Moses-like leader, since there hasn't been one since him yet. Yeah, not only is she the judge, uh, she's also a prophet. It's like the text is going out of its way because this is unusual to have a woman assume this kind of a role. It's like the text is going out of its way to just make it clear, this is the role that this woman had. You know, uh, 21st century Christians simply aren't the only people to ever operate under the general assumption that women can't lead, and yet here in Scripture we have the text again, going out of its way to make the point that this woman was a significant leadership figure in Israel in this day. Yeah, I find it fascinating, um, not just this story, but other places in Scripture, even in like the genealogy of Jesus in the New Testament. You have three women mentioned. Um, 
Rahab, Tamar, and Ruth, but um, they're all not even Israelite. They're all Canaanite women, which actually ties into this story pretty well as well. Um, But be careful, though. This story isn't about whether or not women can lead. It's more about whether or not God can choose who he wants to accomplish those things and his will. And, you know, it's, it's, there's even other spots in the New Testament. For example, Philippians, there's, there's some evidence that God used women to even start that church. I mean, those are the first people that Paul addresses when he writes them as these faithful women of the church. And so it's interesting. God uses who he wants, not necessarily who society thinks he should choose. Continuing on in the text, um, it says, she said for Barak, son of Abinoam, um, from Kedesh in Naphtali, um, and said to him, the Lord, the God of Israel commands you, go, take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon river and give him into your hands. Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. This is a point in the story, a detail that I just really love. You know, I remember specifically hearing people say in modern times that uh, that line is evidence that Barak is a coward. You know, what kind of a man isn't willing to go to battle without a woman leading him? But if we read the Bible as a connected story, uh, when we read that line, if you if you go with me, I'll go, but if you don't go with me, I won't go, I believe we're meant to remember that line where else it appears in the story. And one place that appears is in Exodus 33, where Moses is having a conversation with God about whether or not God is going to go with the people and send them to where he's saying he's going to send them. And Moses says to them, like, don't send us out unless your presence is going to go with us. If you're going to go with us, we'll go anywhere. If you're not going to go with us, don't send us out. And I I think what Barak is saying is similar to that sentiment that Moses has about God. You know, here's Deborah, the prophet and the leader. She's the one who's speaking on behalf of God. You know, the whole reason that God raises people up to this level of leadership in Israel, according to Deuteronomy 18, is because this is what Israel asked him to do. If you remember the scene, uh, God is meeting with them as a nation, as a whole people on Mount Horeb, and and they're terrified, and they're, they're begging Moses to go and talk to God themselves. They say, you go and talk to God, and then tell us what he says. We're too terrified when God speaks to us. And so, God says to Moses, that's when he said to Moses, I'll, I'll raise up another prophet, I'll speak through my leaders to the people, because that's what you've asked me to do. And so here's Barak, you know, he's living in that reality where God speaks through the leaders that he's raised up, his presence is embodied in the leaders that he raises up, and it's like Barak is saying to the prophet, this representative of God, hey, if you'll go with me into battle, I'll go anywhere, uh, but if you're not going with me, I'm not doing it. And We could say that's cowardice, but the reality is this is what any smart follower of Yahweh would say. I am only going into battle if you are leading me into battle. Next we read in the story, uh, Deborah says back to him, certainly I will go with you, but because of the course you are taking, the honor is not going to be yours, for the Lord is going to deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. Yeah, I agree. I don't think we need to read this as rebuke against Barak. More that this represents the linking of this story to principles found in the rest of Scripture. God doesn't deliver his people by the strength of their might or military. He delivers them by the strength of his hand. Often his powers at work through the lives, or at least likely candidates for success. And this this is true in most of the stories. Um, 
and judges. Deborah prophesies that Barak's victory won't be by the military, but that God's going to use a woman to strike down this mighty general. Yeah, I think it's almost as if Deborah's saying to Barak, like, okay, you're not going to go into battle without assurances that God is with you. Hey, good on you, but you have to understand that when God enters the battle to fight on your behalf, he is going to use whoever he wants. And he just might not make you the star of the show. And thankfully, Barack's fine with that. You know, he's, he's happy to follow God into battle, even if it means uh, a woman is the one who God's going to deliver the nation by. He doesn't need to be the hero of the story. He's happy to let God be the leader of the story. Anyhow, we read on. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh, and there Barak summoned Zebulun and Naphtali, and 10,000 men went up under his command, and Deborah also went up with them. We'll skip over verse 11 down to verse 12, where it says, And then they told, then, when they told Sisera that Barak, son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera summoned from Harasheth Hagoim to the Kishon River all his men and his 900 chariots fitted with iron. Then Deborah said to Barak, Go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled on foot. Verse 16, Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as Harasheth Hagoim, and all Sisera's troops fell by the sword. Not a single man was left. We're seeing a picture of total victory, and next week we'll talk about how this Sisera meets his own demise. But in the meantime, uh, in light of this total victory, what do you think are some of the main takeaways for us from the story of Deborah, Heath? I think one is that God tends to not always do things the way that we think he should do things. You know, the gospel itself um, turns that on its head. You even have in Revelation... uh, one of my favorite scriptures. You have John in the throne room of heaven, all this great, wonderful majesty and, you know, everything so great and powerful. And he goes, look, the Lion of Judah, this uh, announcer says. And he looks up and he sees a, a, a slain and it makes in it explicit in the text a baby lamb, like a small, tiny lamb, not a sheep. Like this is like a pitiful little sheep that's all bloodied up. And that's what he sees. And that's Jesus, right? So the conquering king is a slain baby lamb, you know, and I think that ties into this fact that God uses who he wants. Um, We don't want to miss the boat of what God is doing um, because it doesn't fit our paradigm. (laughs) Again, going back to the Gospels, most of the Jews missed their Messiah because he wasn't who they thought he would be. Another thing is God's people shouldn't go anywhere without his presence. Um, Anytime, you know, I'm guilty of this as much as the next person uh, of diving into a situation, whether it be a challenging one, a new adventure, um, something easy, something difficult, we, we try to just do it on our own. And oftentimes God's sitting there wanting to give us some guidance and advice and, and help us at least see maybe a different path than we would think. And oftentimes that's normally the best path taken. It doesn't mean that God normally um, leaves us to our own devices and lets us fail all the time, but but sometimes... Um, he does, and it's best to really rely on him in, in all types of situations. Yeah, I was thinking, you know, Barack's been called a coward by Jesus' followers probably for, you know, at least a century or so, as at least modern people interpret this passage. And I think I would much rather history judge me a coward because I wouldn't go somewhere without God's presence than I had a great reputation in history, but I wandered all over the place without without my Savior. Absolutely. 
I think the final point this text is making is, is Deborah is pointing forward towards Jesus. You know, all these uh, uh, savior type people, these prophets, these priests, these judges um, that, that do things by the spirit of God all point towards Jesus. Jesus being the embodiment uh, of God on earth, full of the spirit and enacting God's will wherever he goes. I think this is a, another time in scripture that just points us forward to look at um, the coming Messiah. And we have the hindsight to look back and see both sides of the story, where in Deborah's case, they, they didn't. All they had was their situation and God's deliverance in the moment. We get to rely on the fact that we saw not only uh, this new nation of Israel delivered then, but we've seen all of humanity delivered in Christ. And we get to live in live in that victory, um, regardless of what's going on in the world around us. We, we've already won this victory, and I I think he's risen, and he has risen indeed. Amen. I'm going to close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you that you are the victorious one, that you are, Jesus, you're the prophet who spoke the words of God to the people in a way that we could hear, and in a way that uh, lifted the veil and revealed the mysteries of God to humanity. We thank you that you are uh, the one, like, like the priest, who stands between uh, humanity and God and represents uh, the divine being here in our world. And we thank you that you are the king, the leader, uh, the judge. You are the one who rules supreme over all things. And we just invite you to increase your rule and your reign in each of our lives. As we go out from here this week, we pray that your presence would go with us and that you would lead us into the purposes that you have for us this week. In Jesus' name, amen.